0: For me, patient access, I feel patient access is its own discipline or specialty within healthcare. And so like all other disciplines in healthcare, we should really have base our interventions on evidence-based practice. And so while there's a lot of research that's available, um, a lot of research studies related to patient access, we don't have a set of guidelines like we do with diabetes or hypertension or asthma, for example. And so that to me was what the gap was and it needed to be filled.
1: Welcome to the All Access Pass, a podcast brought to you by the Patient Access Collaborative, giving you an exclusive behind-the-scenes look at all things access in the ambulatory enterprise. Here, patient access leaders from academic health systems and industry experts share their expertise on hot topics in access, including best practices, process development, organizational dynamics, technological innovation, and patient experience.
2: Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Elizabeth Woodcock and I am the executive director of the Patient Access Collaborative. And I couldn't think of anywhere else I would rather be than sitting down virtually with our guests who are representing our best practices committee. With me, I have Holly Kohler, who is the vice president of patient access at Northwell, Kevin Paul, the senior director of access from Boston Children's, Tina Tolomeo, the Senior Director of Patient Access at Yale, and Michelle Winfield-Honron, Honoran, is the Chief Clinical Access Officer at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. These four leaders, as well as uh, Patrick Kokoruta from Geisinger and Carrie Semro from Iowa, formed this amazing committee that we had at the Patient Access Collaborative focused on the best practices for patient access. Well, I'd like to actually go ahead and start us off with the original, the OG. What was the impetus for this best practices of access? And Tina, I'm going to turn it over to you since indeed you were the inspiration.
0: Thank you, Elizabeth. So for me, uh patient access, I feel patient access is its own discipline um, or specialty within healthcare. And so, like all other disciplines in healthcare, we should really have base our interventions on evidence-based practice. And so While there's a lot of research that's available, um, a lot of research studies related to patient access, we don't have a set of guidelines like we do with diabetes or hypertension or asthma, for example. And so that to me was what the gap was and it needed to be filled. And so what better way to address that void than with the largest consortium of academic healthcare institutions who are totally dedicated to patient access. Tina, thank you so much. And In the spring of 2023,
2: we did go ahead and issue that best practices and access. And thanks again to the committee members who really were the guideposts for this document. According to Miriam Webster, a best practice is a procedure that has been showed by research and experience to produce optimal results, and that is established or proposes a standard suitable for widespread adoption. We were excited to use the expertise of this committee as well as the evidence in the literature, in fact, nearly 50 academic peer-reviewed articles to document these best practices. I want to turn it over to our guest, Michelle. Michelle, your arrival at the University of Arkansas in a newly formed senior executive role is really what kicked off the great access work that you and your team are doing. How has codifying these best practices
3: helped you and your team? Thanks, Elizabeth. Um, It has helped immensely. As as someone who's not new to access, but new to an organization that had a a renewed vision on access, the the best practices have been very helpful in getting goodwill and buy-in and bringing it to areas where A lot of times at an academic medical center, people are looking for research or they want to know the why or they want something to show this works and why does it work. Having these best practices has been a way to be able to provide that information very similarly to the way Tina spoke to how we have this for diabetes and hypertension. We needed to have it for access when you look at patient access and you look at organizations today, a lot of that directly impacts finances in the bottom line. So when you're talking about things that you need more uh, resource for, or you need additional FTEs to answer the phone, or you need additional people to manage referral bases, they don't get it. But when you can bring it back to a best practice, people have a better understanding of, of what the need is and why you need to move forward with that. And I think just for my team in general, I can't be on every call, I can't be in every meeting, but the best practices have really given my team the confidence to communicate with other stakeholders in the organization around access about the importance of best practices and why we use them. Thanks,
2: Michelle. And for our listeners, let's step back and convey the meaning of the project itself. I think it's really important to recognize that the Patient Access Collaborative, we've been in existence since 2011 and only now reported these best practices. We recognize and vehemently agree, and I think all of our committee members would say the same thing, there really are no right answers when it comes to patient access. This is a very complex topic. And We truly believe that there is no right way to do it. Now, that being said, we got a lot of leaders like Tina, like Michelle, who ask uh, for help as they were trying to build up momentum for the access work in their institutions. And I'd like to turn it over to Holly because Holly at Northwell Health I mean, y'all are going through some really significant changes right now with your EHR implementation, and it's almost a perfect time to consider an approach to capacity management. Can you talk about how the document that we issued is helping you at Northwell?
4: Absolutely. Hi, Elizabeth. And uh, first, let me just say thank you so much for inviting me to do this today. Um, the best practice document by Patient Access Collaborative and and many of you really helps to provide a baseline approach to capacity management. It helps us as we uh, you know go on this epic journey, this journey onto this uh, amazing platform, this amazing really opportunity for Northwell is really going to be something we get to sort of press a restart button on. And so we're really jazzed here at Northwell around this opportunity. The journey we're on really gives us this fresh look um, around access and the best practices document will help serve as a, as guiding principles to the foundational work. We're looking at session time, right? Um, We do this, we should be doing this all the time, right? But we really get to look at this as we do new builds for the entire organization for all the physicians. We look at visit types, we're looking at all the visit types, a stock, sort of that reset button, right? And of course, duration standardization. So much opportunity here for us to deep dive yet again, uh, where we've done it before, we're going to do it again and again. So this is exciting for us. Our template builds will be supported through a centralized approach, this hasn't really been structured like this in the past. And the, the document does help to talk about the, the um, areas of opportunity there. So um, I've actually read it uh, as we embark on this epic journey. I've read it a few times, even though you know, we've all been participating to, to create it. Uh, I still go back to it as my guiding principle. Um, we will have the structure in place to monitor and manage physician templates, but the capacity management is so crucial. Um, we have this just, you know, really great foundation that we started here at Northwell around the success of the project for Epic. Um, and so we'll continue to build on that and use the document as our guiding principle. Thanks so much, Holly. And
2: gosh, uh, best of luck as uh, you continue this journey to uh, implement an EHR system and Lead into access. So for our listeners, this best practice document that we're all referring to, it actually has five Uh, key chapters. And it's marked and uh, so duly marked as edition one very specifically, and that we think there'll be multiple iterations of it. Um, The first chapter is on referrals and referral management. The second one is on appointment confirmations. And you might say, really, a whole chapter on appointment confirmations. But it's really interesting because in the ambulatory enterprise, we don't have the luxury that the bed tower has where the patient is just sitting there. We have to wait for the patient to come in for that 10 or 15 minute appointment or 20 or 30 or 60 and making sure they come in is really, really important. Holly's referred to template management. We have an entire chapter on template management because it is the backbone for our greatest asset in the ambulatory enterprise, which, of course, is our provider's time, that precious time that we need to make sure we use and use effectively and optimize. Scheduling is our fourth chapter, so just literally the booking process itself. And then our last chapter, which was really inspired by Carrie Simro from the University of Iowa, was focused on communication and how important it is as we, as uh, centralized access leaders, are really focused on working in collaboration with our clinician partners and departments and service lines and institutes at our health systems. This is really only the beginning. I actually just heard... uh, last week from our cohort on centralized nurse triage that they are going to add another chapter to best practices for the second edition. And I'd love to get y'all's perspective. Kevin from Boston Children's, I think you've used this document. You were certainly a key part of creating it. Can you talk about like, what's the next step? Are there other chapters? What should we be doing with this document for our
5: leaders? Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Uh, It's great to be a part of this uh, collaborative community. And uh, I think back to some of the early meetings that we had together in the focus on call center and in our most recent meeting in East Lansing, you definitely see a shift. I'd love to see a deeper dive. And you could easily probably write an entire book on capacity management. Um, So many different elements to it. I mean, the the template uh, issues, the visit types, things Holly mentioned, things Tina and Michelle mentioned are definitely a part of it, but it's becoming a, uh, a field of study within access by itself. Definitely uh, something that I think many of us would benefit from.
2: Thanks so much, Kevin. And really for our listeners who, again, may be wondering, okay, y'all are referring to this document. Can you give me some examples? I'm just going to read a couple of them that are considered by the committee, and again, with evidence from the academic literature, best practices and access. First one being, referrals are created and codified within one business day of the patient being notified that a referral is being made. Second one, all referrals are tracked regardless of anticipated disposition. So whether or not they are going to be scheduled, uh, They are absolutely recorded and tracked. Third one, referrals are not automatically scheduled, We used to refer to that as auto-booking, and in an academic practice, that was the industry standard. We auto-booked all patients, at least in my experience at an academic medical center. But no, our best practices say, no, referrals are not automatically scheduled. In fact, the patient or caregiver is consulted about the appointment, date, and time. All right, y'all. I mean, this is pretty basic stuff. And I'm assuming some of our listeners are saying like, really, really does this really need to be written down? And I wanted to just get y'all's perspective, because I think ultimately this is, right, the real reason for this best practices document is um, to codify this, what is generally considered uh, pretty basic stuff, and yet we may not have always, had always been doing it. So Tina, I just wondered if I could get your perspective about, you know, why these are important, even though they're pretty basic, as we embark on improving
0: access. Sure. So, you know, I think if evidence exists, right, um, that something works, why reinvent the wheel? I think that's pretty much the the most basic reason for why we have these set of guidelines. I mean, there are many aspects to patient access um, that need to be addressed. And, you know, Kevin just spoke about the capacity management. So what we should do is use the evidence that we have, share it with others, and then really focus our efforts on things that still need to be addressed. And our research and you know our area of study should go to to process improvement and some of the um, aspects of patient access that are less well researched.
2: You know that's a really really good point, Tina. Is let's just get down kind of the basics of access so that we can use that as a foundation to uh, really dive into some of the more complex issue. So Holly, I just wanted to get your perspective. You know, auto booking, really the referrals have to be codified. You're coming from a very, very complex organization that, as I understand, has actually not been centrally managed until this current time. So, you know, is there is there a good reason, a rationale for even these basic principles
4: to be codified? Absolutely. Um, Yes. I mean, these, these certainly seem so basic. Of course you should reach out to a patient that a referral, you know, was sent through for. It seems basic. However, you'd find such great variability if you didn't have sort of some guiding principles and a foundation of work, which is really coming out of the best practice document to help guide us. This, um, you know, this really creates a highly reliable operating model for us to start, It's so important to be successful and why not refer to the experts in the field that have done this and tried alternative ways to do it um, that have already proven success in their outcomes. We often speak with caregivers several times uh, before even securing an appointment. So the auto book for us just would never work. It's just so important to coordinate that next level of care with the appropriate communication methods and timing that helps that referral and outreach work be successful. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. And Kevin, you and I've been doing
2: this for a while, working in the ambulatory space. And you probably remember some of those days of auto booking and the like. Can you kind of talk about, you know, as we think about what I would argue are some barriers, uh, the referral has to be you know, not only placed, but authorized by the insurance company before we even contact the patient. Or we have to have the all the medical records in place before we reach out to the patient or family to contact, you know, for a scheduling appointment. And one of the really cool things that you all have done at Boston Children's is correct me if I'm wrong, but really elevate the patient and family's voice in these discussions as well. And so can you, again, kind of what is your perspective about these best practices as you continue that journey of really elevating the voice of the customer through the patient and family experience?
5: Thanks so much, Elizabeth. We uh, we love, like many of the organizations represented in the uh, Patient Access Collaborative, We love to keep the patient and family at the center of everything we do. I think that this documentation is so important to know how did you get there? What is that best practice? Uh, I love that Tina said, you know, having it be uh, evidence-based, but also if you've got it documented, now you know the path forward. You know, here's where our baseline is. How do we improve upon uh, those practices? I think in many cases, you're dealing with new faculty, Uh, new staff, and being able to have the best practice as a playbook, being able to orient uh, people to these practices from a great starting point so that you can improve along the journey. I find that this is going to be the uh, pre-read before anyone gets involved in access at our organization.
2: Oh, that's a great call to action. I appreciate that. Very, very much. Michelle, I thought I'd uh, let you close us out. Any closing thoughts about the importance of this best practices and or working on the
3: committee to develop these? Sure, I think Kevin hit the nail on the head. It is absolutely a compass. Um, one of the areas that I think it's very important um, and Kevin touched on it a bit is you know new leaders that are in this space that aren't really sure what to do. A lot of times access is kind of given to somebody in an organization and they're given a call center and where do we start and what does that look like and how do we manage? So I definitely say that this is a, is a compass document for anybody that is new in the space should read as well as Holly referencing that she goes, back and looks at it frequently. I I think we all do. When you live in it day in and day out, you kind of just get mired in it. And then there's times when you need to take a step back. I think working with the Patient Access Collaborative on the creation of this has been immensely helpful. I think to all of us in understanding what challenges there are in in other organizations who is doing what well, who needs some help, what technology is out there. So I anticipate, um, and I may be a forward thinker, that these best practices may change over time based on, you know, the evolution of what can be done within our electronic health records, how we manage things as we move forward. Who knows? We may never need a referral again to go anywhere. Um, It just all depends on on what healthcare is going to do in the next, you know, three to five years. But I think this group as a whole will go back and challenge what that looks like and see if we can amplify and improve upon what was written on on the first draft. But I think the first draft is really good.
2: That is a great point. And I've been referring to this as a quote-unquote document, but it really is an iterative story, if you will, of access as we all work to improve it. Well, again, my name is Elizabeth Woodcock. I am So excited to have sat down with our guests today. We had Holly Kohler from Northwell Health, Kevin Paul from Boston Children's, Tina Tolomeo from Yale, and uh, Michelle Winfield-Honoran from the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. I also want to acknowledge Patrick Kokorita from Geisinger and Carrie Simmer from the University of Iowa, who formed our Best Practices and Access Committee Thanks to all of our listeners today and for PAC members. If you haven't seen the best practices document, don't hesitate, it is on our website. You can grab it, download it, and we look forward to having you read it and continuing our journey to improve
1: patient access. Thanks so much to our guests today. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Patient Access Collaborative All Access Pass podcast. The conversation doesn't end here. Visit the Patient Access Collaborative for more content on our blog at www.patientaccesscollaborative.net or our LinkedIn page. Members can access a massive library of resources, including past webinars, benchmarks, directories, and more. Not a member but interested in these resources and joining a group of 3,000 patient access leaders? Join the Patient Access Collaborative today find real solutions to the challenges in your daily work by sharing ideas, contacts, and best practices with industry leaders in the Patient Access Collaborative. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you listen to the podcast. Until next time.